So I'm going to invite you to open your Bible to the book of Joshua, chapter 23. Joshua chapter 23, this is the second to last chapter in the book of Joshua now as we've been going every Wednesday night, every chapter of the book of Joshua and really learning from the life, the spirit-filled life in the promised land. As we come to the end of the book, we're going to learn principles that we must follow in the spirit-filled life. You see, when we come out of Egypt, as the nation of Israel came out of Egypt, it symbolizes a life out of bondage. We've come out of the world, out of bondage, out of slavery from sin. And now we've crossed now not only the Red Sea, but also gone through the wilderness years experience and crossed the Jordan River into the promises of God or into the promised land. And Joshua at this point has lived a very long life from being in, uh, in, in Egypt in bondage and he ended up now in worship in the promised land. And God has used Joshua now in defeating the enemy, in conquering the land, in claiming the promises and the inheritance. But we know that in the life of every leader, in every leader's ministry, there is a beginning there is a middle, and then there is an end. And they move forward to a different season. So here in chapter 23, we're looking at Joshua's farewell address, his final message. But he learned something very important, Joshua. He learned this from Moses. He learned how to pass on leadership. I was reading recently in regards to leadership that today, in the age that we're living in, in the time that we're living in, a lot of leaders at the end of their ministry, they're dropping the mic. And it doesn't mean a good thing as if they're coming out with a bang that they drop the mic, but they're dropping the mic because they don't know how to pass it on to someone else. Because they don't know how to now delegate leadership to the next generation. And here at the end of his life, Joshua's main concern, notice this, we're going to read this in chapter 23, that it wasn't himself, it was the people. It was their relationship with God. And he didn't want to leave the people without having challenged them once again, as he did in the beginning, to love the Lord and to keep his commandments. Because there's something that we learn, not only in the life of faith, it's not only about trust, but it's also about obeying. And what does he do? He calls the leaders meeting. And he renews and reviews the history of the nation of Israel. He challenges the people to love the Lord and to serve him alone. And in the message here in chapter 23 is, if you obey the Lord, he will bless you and keep you in the land. It is a good land that God promised for them. But what is it to, good is it to live in the good land if we're going to live in disobedience. God's purpose for us in the good land is obedience. And he also said, but if you disobey in this good land, God will judge you, remove you from the land. So tonight we're going to look at chapter 23 and the title of tonight's message, if you like taking notes, is Safeguards Against 
apostasy. Safeguards against apostasy. That message not only was important for them, but it's also important for us today. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, Brethren, beware lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. In departing from the living God. Then in the first Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, what did Paul say to Timothy? Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from their faith. There's going to be an apostasy, a turning away from the Lord, a denying the faith in the latter times or in the last days. Later on then in Matthew chapter 24, verse 12, what did Jesus himself say about the last days? He said, and because of the lawlessness that will abound, the love of many will grow cold. The love of many will grow cold because of a heart of unbelief. Some will depart from the faith, the living God. There's going to be an apostasy. And here he's giving them safeguards against apostasy, against backsliding, against turning away. And we're going to see three major things in this chapter, chapter 23. Number one, we'll notice the encouragement, then the exhortation. And finally, the warning, the encouragement, the exhortation, and the warning. Joshua 23, verse 1 says this. Now it came to pass a long time after the Lord had given rest to Israel or victory from all of their enemies round about that Joshua was old and advanced in age. And Joshua called for Israel, for the elders, for the hands, for their judges, and for their officers, and said to them, I'm old, advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you, for the Lord your God is he who has fought for you. Let's pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask right now, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to us. Lord, give us the safeguards against apostasy. Lord, so that we would not backslide. Lord, but that we would move forward. We want to be in the good land, but we also want to live in obedience. Not comfortable, not compromising, not complacent, not cold, but Lord, in obedience. So we ask that you would show us in your word that tonight, in Jesus' name, and together the church would say, amen. Now notice the encouragement. Joshua calls the leaders meeting. It came to pass a long time after, many years after, the Lord, not Joshua, but the Lord had given rest to Israel or victory round about over all of their enemies that Joshua was old and advanced in years. It was an entire lifetime of ministry, a lifetime of taking steps of faith, a lifetime of commitment, a lifetime of sacrifice. But Joshua prepares them as a responsible leader, and he plans for the future. He's preparing the leadership here of what's going to take place after his own leadership. And notice what Joshua says, and Joshua called for all of Israel, for the congregation, 
for their elders, for their heads, for their judges, and all the officers. And look at what he says to them. And he said to them, as he called them together in this leadership meeting, he communicates to them these things because these things are in his heart. They are important for him that they hear these things. You see how important it is that we communicate for the sake of clarity and for the sake of unity here? And he's honest, and notice what he says, I'm old and advanced in age. Joshua here, the young man, the pioneer, the, the one that was called to be strong and courageous in chapter one, now he's saying, I'm old and advanced in years. Now you notice what he's saying here, he's confident. He's secure. He, he's not, not here scared because he's coming to the end now of his ministry, but he's confident, he's secure in what the Lord has done through him. He is not insecure. He is very secure in that calling, and he realizes that every season has a place in our lives, even as leaders. Everything is a season. Things don't last forever, and he realized that, and notice what he says. You have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all the nations because of you, for the Lord your God is he who has fought for you. What a leader here, a tremendous legacy that he leaves. And he says, you have seen everything, declares everything that God has done for you during my lifetime. And notice here, not everything that Joshua has done, but everything that the Lord has done in the nation of Israel. Joshua keeps everything to glorify the Lord. And notice what he does. He says, I don't want my fingerprints on anything. It's God's hand that has been here. God receives all the glory. He's more interested in giving all the glory to God instead of talking about himself. How tempting is it that oftentimes when God uses us to do great exploits for him, that we use the opportunity because we're more interested in talking about ourselves than we are interested in the glory of God. People talk a lot, but sometimes they have nothing to say. You know what we should be talking about? The glory of God. The glory of God. And notice what he says here in verse 3. God is he who has fought for you. As the song that we just sang, the battle belongs to the Lord. And against the Egyptians, the Lord fought for them. Against the Amalekites as they came out of Egypt and crossed the Jordan, the, the Lord fought for them. Against the Canaanites, against Jericho, the Lord has fought for them. They experience and they witness the deliverance and the power of God. The hand of God has been here on your behalf. And he's reminding them that. What was it that when they came out of Egypt that the Lord had promised them? Exodus chapter 14, verse 14. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. When God fights for you, you know what you can do? You can hold your peace. Because we're not fighting for ourselves. We're letting the Lord fight for us. Now notice what he explains here, Joshua, as he now tells them of the challenges that still remain. You see how he's preparing them for the future? This is what the Lord has done up until this point, but there are still challenges that remain. In verse 4, it says this, See, I have divided to you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes, 
from the Jordan with all the nations that I have cut off as far as the great sea westward. You see, by law, I have allotted now these nations that still remain or the nations that are still to be conquered. These are territories that are unconquered as well as that has, that has already been conquered from Jordan all the way to the great sea westward. All of the nations here, as well as those that have already been cut off and those that haven't, they have been divided to be an inheritance to your tribes. Notice there were some that they were already living in, that they already had conquered, and there were those that they still needed to conquer in the promised land. There are still many battles that you need to fight, many victories that you must still experience. You know what he's telling them? Do not be comfortable with the victories that you experienced in the past. God still wants to do more. And notice how he goes on in verse 5, and the Lord your God will expel them from before you. Those that you still need to conquer, those battles that you still must fight, the enemy that you still need to drive out, who's going to expel or drive them out? Well, he's giving them a reassurance of God's promise. This land will be yours, and the Lord your God himself will drive them out, the people that are living there. And the Lord your God will expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight. So you shall possess the land as the Lord your God had promised you. You're going to step into the promises of God. You are still going to step out in faith and step into his promises. Everything that he has promised, he will do. Why? Because God had never failed his people. If they would only trust him, if they would only obey his word, then he would completely help them to conquer the land. And he's telling them right here, there is still remains for each individual tribe now to possess the land that God has given them. And it's important that even as we get to this verse, verse 5, that we realize that, that God may change his methods, but his character never changes. He is always the same. He can be trusted. We may not experience the victory the same way. He may change the method on us, but his character never changes. He is always faithful. He can be trusted, and we can trust what he has said. We can trust what he has said. So he's going to tell him, in obedience, you can face the enemy with courage, with confidence. Why? Because we started by faith in Joshua chapter 1, and in Joshua chapter 23, we will continue by faith. What started by faith, God will carry it on by faith. What, what had God promised in chapter 1? The Lord promised them that his presence would go with them, his power would go with them, and his protection would go with them. If you obey me, if you trust, if you get into the word, if you meditate on it day and night, then I promise you my presence, my power, and my protection. Now, here are the safeguards against apostasy or against turning away now when you've made it into the promised land. Notice the exhortation in verse 6. Therefore, be very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. <laughs> well, isn't this the very same exhortation 
that he received from the Lord in chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. Joshua, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What did he say? Meditate on the word of the law day and night that you may not depart from it or go to the right or to the left and you will prosper in all that you do. Now that was Joshua received from the Lord. He passes it on to the next generation. And he says it in verse six here, therefore be very courageous. He hands down his faith from one generation to the other now. Don't sway. Don't go to the right hand. Don't go to the left hand. Don't deviate. Don't be swayed because when you're swayed, notice what happens, then you're lost. And there are times in our walk when we sway away from the word of God that you become lost. You start to drift now because we've turned away from the truth. He says, so that you won't turn away from faith, so that you won't turn away to obedience. Notice what he says here in verse 6. Keep and do. It's not simply about hearing the word of God. It's also about obeying the word of God and following him. And notice what it says here in this very verse, verse 6. To do all. Would you circle the word all in your Bible? Not only those areas of your Bible that are easy. But all, obey all now. Because it's very easy to obey those things that attract us the most. And he says here, be strong, or he says, be very courageous, because it's going to take courage oftentimes to obey. It's going to take courage to obey. There are going to be times in our walk when some of what the Lord asks us in his word, it's not going to be popular, it's not going to be easy, it's not going to be convenient, but it's going to be obedience. And this is what he says, be strong and courageous now. And he's commissioning the people with the same words that God has given them. This is the secret to the success and the victory of his ministry. The reason for the victories was the devotion that Joshua himself had in the word of God, meditating on it day and night. Not only did he obey God's promises, he also believed in God's promises. This is why for us, even right now, if you want to live a victorious Christian life, How much time are you spending in the Word? How much time are you spending in the Word? Is there any quiet time with an open Bible and a notebook saying, Lord, speak to me? And I'm not going to walk away. I'm not going to rush this time. I don't want to be distracted until you speak to me from your Word. Because it's not only enough, it's not enough to know the Word of God. We must also know the God of the Word. And until you know the God of the word, notice, you can't truly walk in victory. You know what Joshua understood? He knew how to fellowship with God. You can read the chapter a day, but are you fellowshipping with God? Are you fellowshipping with his word? Is he speaking to you? And this is exactly what he's telling them. The first safeguard against apostasy is here found in verse 6, obey. Obey, number one. There's three safeguards against apostasy. The number one is obey the word of God. Number two, here in verse 7, unless you go among these nations, these who remain among you, you shall not make mention of the name of their gods 
nor cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not serve them nor bow down to them. But you shall hold fast to the Lord your God as you have done to this day. What does he say? The second safeguard against apostasy? Remain separated. That you would not become infected by the people that are living in this land. Make sure that you do not associate with the nations that are among you. That you don't associate, that you remain blameless, that you do not conform. Why? Because apostasy, to, to backslide from the truth, you know how it begins? It begins with association. And then the disobedience in our life is just very gradual to the point that we've walked away from the truth. In fact, notice how specific here the instructions are. It says, don't go among these nations, don't associate with those nations, and don't even make mention of the name of their gods. <laughs> because once you start making mention of the name of their gods, notice you're going to entertain the thoughts in your mind to serve those gods and then to worship those gods. And you are never to worship, never to serve the gods of the enemy. You are only to worship the one true living God. So what is he saying? Protect your mind against the attitude towards the pegging nations around them and do not accept the ways that they do or don't imitate their lifestyle. Very simply said in verse 7, what he's saying, be clear in your life of worldliness. Be clear of worldliness. Don't make peace with the enemy. Don't affiliate. Don't entertain the devil in your life. Love God and hate sin. You know, there's a problem when, as believers, we start to entertain the things of the devil. Here he says, don't even mention their names. Don't associate with their names. So anything that has to do with darkness, don't associate it with it. We ought to be seeking the things of the light, not the things of the darkness. So as believers, where we go is important, that we are not to be going into dark places. The things that we watch, the movies that we watch, the music that we listen to, it should not associate or affiliate with the things of the devil. It's so sad, even in this culture, we'd be surprised how many Christians watch movies that have so much even demonic activity. And then we wonder why we allow that into our homes, into the lives of our children, and then there's no victory in their lives or in our homes. Because we've opened the door to the enemy to come into our lives. You know what he said in verse 6? Don't open the door for the enemy to come into your life. I like what Ellen Redpath said. He says, the separated Christian is not one who gives up the things reluctantly. The separated Christian is one who loves the Lord with all his heart and want nothing else but God. We're not going to reluctantly do it or casually do it. We're going to say we want nothing else but the Lord. So he says, don't even mention their names. But verse 8, he says, serve the Lord faithfully. Faithfully. But you shall hold fast to the Lord your God as you have done to this day. What does it mean to hold fast? Cling on tightly to the Lord. Hold on tight to the Lord. As you have done up until now, up until this day, continue to be faithful. Don't deviate from that which God has you on. Continue serving him, that it would be 
long obedience in the same direction. And this is so important for us to understand because he says, as you have done this day, continue to do it. Verse 9, for the Lord has driven out from before you great and strong nations, but as for you, no one has been able to stand against you to this day. Remember what the Lord has done for this nation. Remember the goodness of God in your life, and that will motivate you to obedience. Remember that the Lord has dispossessed. Remember that the Lord has driven out from before you great and strong and powerful now nations and enemies from before you and as for you. Circle that in your Bible. But as for you. Don't be concerned what someone else is doing. But as for you, this is a fulfillment of what God has done in your life. No one has been able to stand against you because of the favor and the protection and the power and the provision of God's hand. You continue to serve him. Notice how he describes the power of God. It was supernatural. It was a supernatural now work. It was a dramatic, miraculous work of God in the life of this nation. It has been said before, if you can explain it, then it probably wasn't God. <laughs> a lot of things that God does in our lives, we can't even explain. We would never even imagine them. <laughs> but it's the powerful hand of God going before us. And this is why it says here now, one man of you shall chase a thousand. <laughs> Notice what it says in verse 10. For the Lord your God is he who fights for you as he has promised you. This is the second time he is reminding them, the Lord is the one that fights for you. And if he's the one that fights for you, then don't get in the way. Let him fight your battles. Let him fight your battles. Now what does he say in verse 10? One man shall chase a thousand for the Lord your God is the one who fights for you. He's actually quoting scripture now from Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 30. This is what it says. How could one man chase a thousand or two, put 10,000 to flight unless their rock had sold them, unless the Lord had given them up? What does this tell us now about Joshua in verse 10? That he's a man, not only of faith, but he's a man of the word of God. He is quoting scripture. He is meditating on the scripture day and night. He knew what the word of God said and he hid it in his heart. You know what this tells us? That we don't trust man's word, but we can trust every single day God's word. We don't put our confidence in what man has told us. We put our confidence in the Lord because then we are safe. What does it say in Jeremiah? Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. He shall be like a tree that is planted by the rivers of water and his leaves shall not wither and he was not going to dry up. But cursed is the man who trusts in a man. He shall be like a weed that is tumbled in the wilderness. You see what Joshua is doing here? He knows the word of God. He has hidden it in his heart that he may not sin against the Lord. But verse 11, it says this, Now therefore, take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God. This is the third safeguard. The first one is obey. The second one is be separated from the world. 
And the third one is to love the Lord your God. Take careful heed yourselves that you would love the Lord your God. To obey means to love. And to love is to obey. God is commanding them this so that they would not conform now. So notice what he says here now, be careful, take careful heed or attention now that you obey because if you do not obey, God's going to chasten us until we submit to him. Obey, be separated, and love. These all trace back to a life of devotion in God's word and in prayer. What is he saying? He's saying that which Moses told them back in Deuteronomy. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and with all your strength. Love the Lord. Be very careful. Abide in him. Because when you abide in him, you will be blessed. But if you fail to abide in obedience, then they also will depart from God's blessing. What did Jesus say in John chapter 15, verse 5? I'm the vine that you are the branches. He who abides in me, who is, he is connected and is, is obedient to me. And I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do what? Nothing. What is he saying? Take careful heed to abide. Now notice this. Some of God's promises are unconditional. His grace, his mercy. But some of God's promises in his word are conditional and they depend upon our obedience for their fulfillment. And this is exactly what he's going to explain. He's going to warn them against turning away because if they turned away, the Lord would drive them out of the land. Now notice what it says here, the warning in verse 12. Or else, if indeed you do go back and cling to the remnant of these nations, these that remain among you and make marriages with them and go into them and they to you, if there are mixed marriages and you don't hold fast and you go to the customs of the survivors that are in this land, that those that remain, you're in disobedience and you intermarry, what does it say here? Don't go in. Stay blameless, because if you do, it says this, know for certain, know for sure, verse 13 is telling us here, because there must be a line of separation between us and the world, that the Lord, your God, will no longer drive out the nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps to you, and scourges on your side, and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from this Good land which the Lord your God has given you. What a warning here that he's saying. When we become now in love with this sin, notice what we also do. We become ensnared by the sin that we tolerate. We become ensnared by the sin that we tolerate. And he's saying, don't accept this. The mixed marriages, the worship, the idolatry. Because these are all signs of apostasy, of you turning away from the truth in your life. And where does it begin when you start to compromise in prayer and in fellowship in the word instead of living a life that is energized by the Holy Spirit? It was Paul that told us in Romans chapter 12, do not be conformed to the world. Don't try to be like the world. Don't try to imitate the world. You want to imitate someone? Imitate Christ. 
What did Paul say in Romans 12? Do not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you would prove what is the perfect will of God. The only thing that you have to prove is the perfect will of God. How do we do that? By laying our life at the altar. In James chapter 1, verse 27, verse 27, what does James tell the church that is undergoing tribulation? Pure and undefiled religion is this. You want to keep your faith pure? What does it mean to keep our faith pure? To visit orphans and widows in their trouble. And notice this, to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Unspotted from the world. But this year from verse 13 to verse 16 is the result of apostasy. Notice the first result of apostasy or turning away or backsliding is defeat. Notice what it says here in verse 13. I will no longer drive them out of the land. They're going to trap you. And not only would it say a thorn or scourges on your side, you know what it means? The enemy is going to bring suffering into your life. And you're going to experience this because you've disobeyed. It's going to be as a whip to your back or thorns. They're going to rob you of the blessing. Not only is it going to bring defeat, but it's also going to bring discomfort. Defeat, but also discomfort. Why? Because you've given into the compromise. Until you perish from the land that God has given you, it may seem innocent today. You would say, well, this is so innocent today, but it's a trap tomorrow. It is a trap tomorrow. Moses warned them about compromising with the evil nations. And Joshua here again is reaffirming a generation later the warning that God would remove the blessing and Israel would be defeated. Israel would be defeated. Let's read here verse 14. Behold, this day I'm going the way of all the earth. What is he saying? Behold, this day I'm going to die, he's saying. The way of all the earth means that's the way that we're all going one day, but we're going to, if our faith is in Christ Jesus, be with him for eternity. But he's saying, my season here is is done now. And notice as he continues, and you know in all of your hearts and of all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you, and not one word of them has failed. You know yourself with all your heart and soul. As I go the way of all the earth, that not one thing of every good thing that God promised ever failed. God has not failed you, and he won't start now. God is faithful to his word. He holds his word above his own name. So what is he saying? He's preparing them. He's talking about the calling of obeying the Lord. He's giving a a strong affirmation of God's faithfulness and that every promise would have come true, but that God's faithfulness works both ways. You know what that means? That as God is faithful to take you into the land, He is also faithful when he drives you out. When God is faithful to bless, God is also faithful to chasten. In both instances, the character of God still remains faithful because he loves us. And he's never going to fail. Charles Spurgeon said it best when he said this, God will not allow his children to, to sin successfully. 
The same way that God gave it to you, that's the same way that he can take it away. That's why we have to remain humble and obedient. It's not because of us. It's because of the grace of God. It's because of the grace of God. We have to remember that. Now notice what he says here in verse 15. Therefore, it shall come to pass that all the good things have come upon you which the Lord your God promised you. So the Lord will bring upon you all the harmful things until he has destroyed you from the good land which the Lord your God has given you because you disobeyed. And everything he gave you because you disobeyed, all the favor, all the good, now he's going to give you judgment and destruction. As surely as he has been faithful to bless your obedience, he's also going to be faithful now to judge your disobedience later on. And in verse 16, and when you have transgressed, notice this. This is the third result of apostasy. Not only is it defeat, discomfort, but lastly, disgrace. Humiliation. And when you have transgressed the covenant, when you have willfully disobeyed what the Lord your God has commanded you and have gone and served other gods and bowed down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you and you shall perish quickly from the good land which the Lord has given you. Then you shall perish. You know what's sad about this warning? That 800 years later, that actually happened. that this was actually fulfilled. When Judah was taken captive over to Babylon because they completely turned their backs on the Lord and when Jeremiah came to prophesy, when Ezekiel came to prophesy, they were still disobedient. We have to have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying so that we would do what? Keep God's word so that we would cleave on to the Lord. And that we would love the Lord. You know what's interesting even about this chapter is that as we read it, we can meditate on the goodness of God as a strong motivation for obedience. When you think about every time that God has fought for you and it is because of his faithfulness that he has fulfilled every promise, you know what it should cause in us? Obedience. That we would remove everything in our lives that is causing compromise and we would say, Lord, today I want you to revive I would like for you to rekindle and I want you to renew my love for you, Lord. But it only happens as you come to him and say, Lord, forgive me. I no longer want to walk backwards. There's no standing still as a believer. You're either going forward or you're going backward. And you think about the prodigal son when he was there eating out of the food of the swine when he left the father's house. It was not the badness of the son that reminded him of the father's house. It was the father's goodness that caused the son to return to the father and it brought him to repentance and it brought him home. The Bible tells us it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And tonight I want to pray for you. Maybe that is you, that you want to come back to the goodness of God. That you want to say, Lord, revive rekindle, renew my love for you, God. I don't only want to step into the good land, the promised land. I also want to enjoy the promises that you have for me in obedience. Can we pray right now?